You're listening to Object of Sound from Sonos, the show where we bring you in tune with the music that shapes our culture. When music lives in the air, it's one thing. But when you know the undercurrents and the ideas that went into a song, when you can feel its weight, it becomes more meaningful. I'm Hanif Abdurraqib, a poet and culture critic, and I'll be your guide as we seek a deeper way of listening. We are coming up on the holidays, which is a time that for many of us is defined by traditions. I do not celebrate Thanksgiving or really any holidays, and so my traditions are mostly self-made. They're like inventions. One of my most sacred and long-standing Thanksgiving inventions every year is the night before Thanksgiving where I sit down to watch one of my favorite movies, The Last Waltz. Now, if you don't know, The Last Waltz is a 1978 concert film documenting the final performance of the musical group, The Band. I pulled into Nazareth, just feeling about half past dead. Just need to find a place where I can lay my head. The Band is a group consisting of Levon Helm, Garth Hudson, Richard Manuel, Robbie Robertson, and Rick Danko that spanned kind of folk and rock and country, um, but mostly narrated uh, a very specific type of interest in America, Southern America specifically. The band kind of came up on the road. They lived their lives on the road. By the time The Last Waltz came along in 1978, they had kind of reached a breaking point with the amount of touring they were doing, both physically, emotionally, interpersonally especially. And before they went their separate ways for a bit, we got a concert film of their final performance together, like a big going away party for the group that was filmed and directed by Martin Scorsese. And it's not just any concert. It is a concert where the band calls in some favors from some of their friends. But their friends are not like normal friends. It wouldn't be like me calling up my friends to have them join me for a concert. Their friends are like Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan, the Staple Singers, Emmylou Harris, Neil Young, and so on. I love The Last Waltz because I think not only is it stunning to see the collection of musical talent in the room... But it's also a real testament to kind of how to say goodbye the best way you can. There's just a real tenderness that that the film carries. And that strikes me newly each year. And so this week on Object of Sound, I'm going to bring you into this tradition that has meant so much to me over the years. I recently got up on stage at On Air LANX with my friend Rishikesh Herway to talk about the film in person. Came all the way, came all the way here. This is our first time seeing each other in real life. Yeah, which we we've done this a few times, but we only realized a few minutes ago that we hadn't actually met in person. It's good to know that you're real. <laughs> Rishikesh is a longtime friend of the show. He's a musician himself, and he's the host of the podcast Song Exploder. 
the show where musicians take apart their songs and tell stories of how they're made. Rishi and I took to stage at On Air LA Annex, a festival of storytelling and podcasts in Los Angeles. At KCRW Studios, we talked about this film that I love, and I got to walk through some of my favorite moments from The Last Waltz with him. We'll leave a link to those clips in the show notes, and I really encourage you to check out not just those clips, but also the full film. And at the end of the episode, I'll guide you through a playlist of songs recorded by the band and a selection of recordings from the band members' individual and solo projects after they perform together for the last time. You can hear that over on Sonos Radio at radio.sonos.com or in the Sonos app. We'll also leave a link in the show notes. And now, here's my conversation with Rishikesh Herway. Before we started talking, though, I had to share how this tradition of mine came about. When I was in college, uh, my first year of college, everyone went home for Thanksgiving, but I did not for reasons I don't really even recall. What that meant was I was kind of like left behind with the sort of misfits, the people who like didn't want to go home, lived too far away to go home, whatever. There were maybe like 10 of us. I didn't go to a very big school. And... The plan was that we would commune the day before Thanksgiving and watch something. This was, to date myself, this was in the era of Blockbuster. You could still, <laughs> you could still go to Blockbuster and get a VHS or a DVD. I think it was, I'm not like dating myself that much. You, get a, <laughs> you could get a DVD. And I got The Last Waltz, which I'd only seen one time before on a VHS over at a friend's house, perhaps. I don't recall. I just knew it was a Thanksgiving-themed music movie. And so I got this DVD, and we played it in the common room of my dorm, all 10 of us, and we had a bunch of snacks. Some of us, like, slept in there. We, like, camped out in, in sleeping bags. I don't know where we got sleeping bags, but we got sleeping bags. And that is how we spent the night. That was in the year 2002. And every year since, the night before Thanksgiving, I watched The Last Waltz. And I usually bake something or cook something and just sit and watch it. And it's, it's at this point, it is like a four-hour process because even though I've seen the film now almost 20 times, I am always kind of uh, re-watching and rewinding and revisiting. And to talk about this, I am joined by my friend Rishi. And you had yet to see the film until last weekend, right? Yes. Yeah. There are some, you know, podcasts where uh, a couple people talk about something they know a lot about. That's not what this is. Um, I feel like uh, some people might think that because I make music and I make a podcast about music that I know a lot about music, that I have an encyclopedic knowledge of music, but I really don't. And this is exactly the kind of movie that really exposes some, like what a dilettante I sometimes feel like when I'm in music because, uh, yeah, I'll be watching, I'll be like, and, and who's that guy? Oh, Van Morrison, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm interested in your point of view watching it for the first time because I have watched it now more times than any one person should. Um, I feel like most times I'm watching it with someone, there's a threshold moment where they're like, this is just too much all at once. <laughs> and then something happens and like, I'm maybe into it now. And then you get to the Neil Diamond part and you're like, no, I'm out again. <laughs> no, I, really, I think the overwhelming um, feeling I had was, gosh, I should really know more about this. Um, part of the other reason why I hadn't watched it is because 
I also don't like music documentaries. Can I ask you, do you do you delineate music documentary and concert film or are they the same thing for you? Um, no, I guess I guess a pure concert film is different than a documentary. But this isn't like a pure... It isn't. No. no. I, I think there's there are too many moves. Martin Scorsese's hands are all over this uh, in a way that's, <laughs> I think, made it much more enjoyable for me. Oh, that's surprising. I, that was a twist I didn't expect. Coming. <laughs> Usually you don't hear that when with people. I can tell you're watching it for the first time. Yeah. I feel like most <laughs> hardcore fans of the band are like, Martin Scorsese's hands are all over this in ways that I fucking hate. <laughs> Is there a... Did you leave your first viewing of it because you're also like marginally familiar with the band sure they started out as, as a backing band for a musician named ronnie hawkins and then they kind of veered out and they collaborated with bob dylan and they have for, for my, in my for my money they have like three of the greatest albums of the 60s and 70s self-titled music from big pink and northern light southern cross which are my three i just adore them uh i say all that to say did you exit the film with not only a favorite performance, but a favorite character. Yes, I, I felt I like I can't wait to hear it. I felt like Levon Helm is the hero of the of the band and of the movie. Levon Helm is the hero of the band. Is, is are, are are folks here fans of the band? Do you have like Levon Helm fans? Levon Helm's the hero of the band because he's like the architect of their whole mythology. Because he's like the only American one, right? And so, without if you extract him, it's just like a bunch of Canadians singing about the Confederate South, <laughs> <laughs> which is maybe a little less romantic. Yeah. How did you get into them? Because to give a little context, so my parents did not listen to any of this kind of music. My dad came to the U.S. in '68. My mom came in 1971, and. Uh, guys with long hair and this music, the volume of it, it's just it just wasn't their thing. So I didn't have any kind of generational inheritance of rock and roll at all. Uh, so I learned and I'm continuing to learn about a lot of stuff from the 60s and 70s much later. Yeah. I learned alarmingly early. I think, I mean, I grew up in a house where my parents were just always playing music from the 60s and 70s, but not necessarily the band. The band I found because when I got to an age where they built a library at the end of my street when I was younger, and I figured out that you could just get any CD, like really any CD. Yeah. At, at 11 years old or 12 years old, it was like being in a record store, you could just walk out with something. Right. And so I, would, I didn't care what it, if the cover looked good, I would take it. And so I love the cover of music from Big Pink. And so I took it home, and track one, side one, is a song called Tears of Rage. And uh, it has this kind of like, it's toned towards R&B in a way that was really familiar to me, and I just adored it. And that's how I kind of fell down the rabbit hole of the band. Um, and that, that band led me to Van Morrison. The less said about Van Morrison today, the better, surely. Because uh, he's, he's on some shit. But, <laughs> but that aside, Van Morrison has a star turn in uh in the last waltz that is accented by a sequined purple jumpsuit <laughs> and a lot of flexible high kicking but i also want to say the thing about the last waltz that breaks my heart sometimes is that a lot of people talk about the performances in the way of that you would talk about like a cartoon 
because some of them are so exuberant in all these things. But also, the performance of Caravan that Van Morrison offers on The Last Waltz is like the best, for me, version of Caravan there is. So we're going to watch a clip of Van Morrison in his purple sequin suit kicking around the stage. It's like one of those things where you definitely should have left the party a long time ago, but, <laughs> but it just keeps getting better and you don't want to miss anything. I didn't think about it in terms of a cartoon, but it makes so much sense. What I, the way I thought of it was I was like, um, these would all make great Halloween costumes. Yes. Um, and I kept thinking about, you know, casting the, the contemporary fictionalized version of this, you know, and I, I was like, oh, Van Morrison played by Jack Black, clearly. Of course. Of course. Whoa. What are some other ones you came up? That's incredible. Uh, Robbie Robertson. <laughs> Robbie Robertson would be played by Willem Dafoe. Whoa. Do you have more? This is incredible. <laughs> this is uncanny. I mean, some of them that I was mixing, uh, you know, I'm jumping back and forth between the future and the past um, <laughs> because uh, it wouldn't make sense now. But um, but Sissy Spacek as uh, Joni Mitchell. Whoa. We should do this. <laughs> I know that you host I mean, you host several podcasts, so let's just do one where we cast musicians. <laughs> I don't think many people would listen. It would just be less like naming, like me just shouting out a musician, you shouting out an actor <laughs> for 20 straight minutes. Uh, uh, but it was it was... I really loved how over the top everybody was, but how um, how lived in they seemed in these personas. Like you said, they're like almost cartoon characters. Yeah. Um, but that's what rock and roll was. But it just felt so so specific and also so writ large. There's also what I also love about the Last Waltz is that this is the occasion of the Last Waltz is that the band was breaking up, but there was like tension. They not all of them wanted to break up. Some of them want to keep going. Robbie Robertson notably was like, I am done. I think there's like three separate parts of the documentary where Robbie Robertson is like, if I even see the road, I'm going to literally die. <laughs> and Scorsese is just like, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the other ones are like, I would, you know, Levon Helm's like, I don't know, I'd keep going until, you know. Robbie Robertson's like, if I even see a tour bus, I'm going to jump in front of it. <laughs> and there's also this joyful tension between not wanting to leave each other or being even frustrated at each other and still just like loving each other through that, that I think really is evident. And the clip that I want to play next is one that's really magical because because of the way The Last Waltz was set up, there was just so many people playing and the audience coming did not know who was playing. And so they had to reveal these things in small bits. Joni Mitchell was playing after Neil Young, but Neil Young still had to go on stage and sing Helpless. And... They wanted to have Joni Mitchell join him on stage to harmonize, but they didn't want to reveal that Joni Mitchell was there. So they, they positioned her backstage and they did this thing where they had her kind of like sing in her, the voice from the heavens thing. And Neil Young, debatable if Neil Young actually knew what was happening. <laughs> but, but there's a moment where like Robbie Robertson and Rick Denko like look up at the sky like the voice is coming down from heaven and Neil Young like looks at them and laughs like he's he's very confused. And I adore that part so much because it's um it summons the magic of the whole the whole thing. So can we run that one?
One of the things that was that really struck me about this and f- made me feel how different this era was is um, how you could have an artist like the band be as huge as they were. And I mean, so few of the songs that were played are songs that they wrote. Yeah. All the people that they're bringing up are these songwriters who are responsible for the songs that the band sometimes made famous. And they're like, well, here's the person who actually wrote it and they're going to play it with us. And maybe they fe- they're featured in the recording or something like that. But, but there was a real, um, I mean, this isn't probably news to anybody, but it just, it, uh, it felt profound to me to be confronted with it in this way. Just how little writing your own songs, yeah. that the songs that you were recording w- was important to a band's repertoire. I, I think in the case of the band, I think it's just that they played them better than anybody else. Yeah. Like they played so many of those songs better than anyone who wrote them could play them. Yeah. It is undoubtedly, I agree with you that it is more documentary than concert film or it is like 50-50 because there are these moments of quiet and these moments of storytelling that are sometimes funny. They tell this funny story about like stealing bread from a grocery store. Some of the stories have not aged well, to be frank. Uh, But there's also this moment after that's recorded after the last waltz is over where Martin Scorsese goes to visit Rick Danko in the Shangri-La studios. And Rick Danko like walks him down and plays a rough version of a solo song that would later become Sip the Wine, which is a beautiful, beautiful song. And uh, I hope we could watch that clip now. To control music. Well, let me ask you now, now that the, the last waltz is over, what are you, what are you doing now? Uh, Eddie, why don't you... Yeah. Just making music, you know. Oh, yeah. Trying to stay busy. It's good. It's healthy. That's the scene I watch over and over again. Well, one of the many. But that is the one I like return to and run back. In part because the band is also, you know, it's a bit of a tragic story in a way. I mean, they've all, with the exception of Garth Hudson and Robbie Robertson, they've all died. A small Levon Helm story that I love telling is that he would play these concerts at his barn up in Woodstock. I mean, up until the very end. And I went one time because I was just like, you could go. It was just like, you know, Saturday night, you can go watch him play with this family and his band and his daughter and all this stuff. And he would just walk around. He was just like a guy. And I went with a friend one time and we were hanging out outside the barn. And here comes Levon. He's like drinking something as he always was. And I was so awestruck that I could not think of anything to say. My friend probably shouldn't have thought of something to say because what he said was, Playing drums and singing looks hard. <laughs> and Levon very politely kind of nodded and smiled and he said, wasn't never too hard for me. <laughs> and he just walked away. <laughs> and I think about that often because uh, the band, you know, they, uh, after they disbanded, they, they had struggled, they struggled to find success independent of, Robbie Robertson specifically, but post Last Waltz era, they had a great cover of Spring Scenes Atlantic City but that took off, but the rest of their career was kind of mired in these stops and starts, and then a lot of them died tragic deaths. And um, knowing that, 
knowing the somewhat tragedy of the aftermath of the last waltz, did that make the partying nature of it more fulfilling or devastating for you? I think it felt fulfilling. I, th- I think it felt better knowing that that I know you told me that this was more orchestrated by Robbie Robertson that he really wanted to be. He was really the one who wanted to wrap things up, but it felt nice for a for a band who was in their heyday um, having the chance to kind of call it quits um, on their own terms. The part that was more tragic for me is, you know, which happens with so many bands, they have the kind of weird anemic reunion with like 75% of the members or 60% of the members or something, and then it keeps going. To me, I thought this was really nice. What a nice thing that they got to do this. They got to go out on their own terms. You know, it feels like the UK version of The Office where like they did two seasons and a (laughs) Christmas special and they're like, that's it. We don't need to do anything else. I'm always kind of like, because I think about this every year I watch it. I would love it if this happened now. Like I would love it if a band hung it up on their own terms and in the process of that said, we're just going to invite all our friends and we're going to play a bunch of songs. And that's it. Like that's really it. I want to ask you about this. So are you one of the people who says Martin Scorsese's hands are all over this uh, and it's too much? There are points where I think it's too much. What are some points where it's I think much? there are a lot of shots of Robbie Robertson. Like I think there's like I know that him and Robbie Robertson collaborated on the making of this, but there's just a lot of like up close dramatic shots of Robbie Robertson. And do you mean in the concert footage or do you mean in the in the sort of storytelling? Oh, both. Okay. And I feel like he because I'm a big last Waltz nerd, obviously I've watched the damn thing like for two decades at this point. <laughs> but there's also just like a there's a a record set of all the music that happened that night because obviously the concert footage is only a fraction of it. Mm-hmm. And there's just some mat like hours and hours of music. And I think a lot of the good songs, a lot of the best songs were sacrificed maybe for moments where Robbie Robertson has like for example, I don't know if Who Do You Love is the the I, I get why it's there. Ronnie Hawkins is there, you know, he's the guy who bought them on. But I also think it's maybe there because we get like two Robbie Robertson guitar solos, you know? <laughs> So Robbie Robertson loved him. I don't think he's a listener, but if he is, uh, <laughs> he bronzed his guitar for The Last Waltz. And The Last Waltz is not chronological, so you can't really see this, so it goes in and out of this. But there's a point where like he's just drenched in sweat because the guitar is so heavy. But it's just like, you know, he's that, he's that guy in the band. He's like, oh, the guy with the bronze guitar. And during Who Do You Love, he's like laboring over the guitar solos, just like drenched in sweat, can barely get through them. And I think there are moments like that where Scorsese was like, this is my guy. We got to get as much footage of him as possible. And there's other moments like that where I think we've sacrificed some of the better song performances for like some of the better Robbie Robertson performances. Mm. But I do, I love Scorsese's, like that moment with Rick Danko is so special. Yeah. And the way that Emmylou Harris' performance is shot. Emmylou Harris is like in a room. They're like in a, in a backstage room. 
that's still like torn down to the to the wood and they kind of just circle the performance very well that's a very scorsese like shot um, and what was the story with that part because that's not part of the last waltz no there are a couple how great of a segue that you've provided for me <laughs> there are a couple moments in the last waltz that are that were recorded kind of in the build-up to the last waltz or things recorded on different sound stages or things that were recorded right after and the emmy lewin was recorded like right before um one that was also recorded right before is notably this version of The Weight, which is the most popular song by the band. The song that I tell people, even if you don't know the band, you've heard this song. It's one of those. Yeah. And uh, Mavis Staples, first off, I have to say, one of the greatest achievements of my year was not only meeting Mavis Staples, who was a previous guest on Object of Sound, I met her at Brooklyn Academy of Music. I curated a series of concerts at Brooklyn Academy of Music. Before I met her at BAM, we recorded Object of Sound, and I recorded it in a hotel bathroom, and the lighting was bad, all this stuff. When I saw Mavis Staples at Brooklyn Academy of Music, I like, uh, you know, we went to go do a photo, and I had a mask on, and I took it off, and she looked at me, and she said, I knew it was you. <laughs> she said, I remember you, because you're such a good-looking young man. And I felt on top of the world that night. I mean, it wasn't even, I was like, maybe Staples said I'm good looking. So I was in New York. I was like, I'm going to go out. I'm just like going to walk through Brooklyn like I own it, you know? <laughs> I'm not like organically as confident as I'd like to be. But that night, I was like, I got to go find a casino. <laughs> so maybe Staples, who has uh, confirmed that I'm attractive, um, and Levon Helm were kind of lifelong friends. And there is a performance of the weight of them doing it with the staple singers. And you get a very young Mavis and like Pops is great and everyone sounds great. And there is this moment that I love. My favorite moment in the entire film is at the very end. And we're going to watch this clip. So like watch for it, listen for it. At the very end of the weight, the camera doesn't cut off right away. The camera kind of lingers for a bit. And you pick up Mavis Staples leaning into the mic, looking at Robbie Robertson and whispering something. Can we run that? I love that so much. Mavis Staples, who notably also called me beautiful. Uh, <laughs> I um, I don't know if you have a do you have a Thanksgiving tradition that revolves around consumption of media in any form? Yeah, so you know we used to host Thanksgiving at my my house. Um, my family would invite mostly other Indian families. You know, just folks. We were trying to make some kind of tradition um, around the time when I was eight or nine or so. And so all the other Indian families who also previously hadn't really celebrated Thanksgiving, it was just a weird day off for them. We'd be like, all right, come on over and we're all going to get together. And in my room, uh, in in my parents' house, um, that was the kids' room. And so we would 
all have to eat, you know, we'd have to spread a big bed sheet out uh, and all the kids would sit on the bed sheet so that like all the food and stuff that would fall, like all the gravy that would spill, eventually like we could just pick that up and throw it in the washing Love machine. That. That's efficient. Um, and while we were there, then, and we would always watch a movie um, and, and we would take turns, you know, who would get to pick the movie. That was always my favorite part. Like the dinner and everything, that was always stressful because you'd have to host and you have to get everything ready. But then the time when, by the time you put the movie on, it meant like things were relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that. I, I also grew up, it also is worth saying, I don't celebrate anything, which is why I was not going, which is a part of the reason why I wasn't going home for Thanksgiving. I was raised Muslim and we just like don't celebrate. Like there's nothing to celebrate. I mean, there is something to celebrate, but it's like, <laughs> comes after a month of not eating uh so you know shout out to anyone here who's raised muslim and has the great like eid stories but thanksgiving's like not a holiday i had to register for me and so yeah. i need to set my to set myself by it for the last eight years last year was the last year the first year i did not do this the thing i would bake while watching the last waltz was cupcakes because cupcakes for me were easy one and two cupcakes if you bake them at home, you get, you're responsible for the frosting distribution, which I like that kind of control. Um, Wait, and what's your philosophy on, on frosting? Because I have strong feelings. I would go light touch on the frosting. Mm -hmm. Are you not? Are you a well, my problem with, you know, especially in the world of retail, right. high-end uh, cupcakes, you get a lot of frosting. Yes. Um, which is, you know, too much frosting. But... <laughs> More importantly, the problem with a cupcake for me is the distribution of the cake part and the frosting part. So what yes. I end up doing is I usually cut a cupcake, you know, somewhere in the mushroom stem part of it. Yeah. Uh, cut that off and then stick it on oh, top. Oh, so like a sandwich. So it's a sandwich so that you can get a little more cake to frosting, a better Are cake you to frosting. This ratio. is revolutionary. <laughs> Maybe only to me. Maybe other people do this. This is like news. <laughs> I'm stepping back into the cupcake tradition this year. And the good news is you all get to join me in the stepping back into the cupcake tradition this year because we have cupcakes for you all. And so you are taking part. Sorry if you don't like cupcakes, uh, but- <laughs> For so many like, reasons, sorry if yeah. you don't like cupcakes. <laughs> yeah. But come and join us in this. You've already like watched some of those. Those look great. And they're small, like a mini one, like a little two bite situation. See, a Thank mini you. one that has, a mini cupcake has the right amount. Do you have a preference? No, no, you please choose. Uh, let's, I'll give you the red velvet. Okay. Sounds good. This is, this is, um, I don't know, you can't really cheers from a distance, but I will say that I hope truly that I have converted at least half of you into Last Waltz watchers. You don't have to watch it every year for the next 20 years, but it would make me happy if you tried to. Uh, I am I am entering my 20th year of this tradition. It has meant the world to me. And I always love seeing more people take it on if they can. And so if you find yourself this year at Thanksgiving, like home and alone, uh, or even home with someone you don't want to be home with, <laughs> just pop that thing on and clear them out. Clear them out the house. <laughs> Thank you all so much. This is great. Have you, are you not going to eat a cupcake? Are you not a cupcake person secretly? No, no, I, I, I am. Um, I'm just waiting until we're not rolling. <laughs> I did not wait until we're not rolling. This is a really great cupcake. I don't know who made these, where they came from, but yeah, congrats to everyone who got one. Um, thank you all so much. This has been Object to Sound.
And now for a final thought. I have really loved creating this uh, tradition for myself. And I've really loved, as someone who doesn't celebrate holidays and doesn't have a real relationship with holidays, to create something that feels like a holiday outside of a holiday. I don't watch The Last Waltz at any other point. I only ever watch it every year, the night before Thanksgiving. And to return to it for years and years and years, as I've aged and as I've grown, I find new things that I love about it and new things that excite me about it, which is a reminder that my capacity for feeling is expanding and my capacity for wonder and awe are expanding. And uh, to get to use this film as a vessel for that revelation at the end of every year and nearing the end of every year where I get to say, not only am I still able to feel, I'm still able to feel new things that I maybe did not have access to the prior year. That's really beautiful. I hope that there is some tradition that you have for yourself that allows you to reach that revelation, even if it's just spending time with family, even if it's spending time on your own during the holiday season. I hope that you make something around a tradition that brings you closer to the realities of how you've grown. One more thing before we go. Before we close out this season and close out the year, we're opening up the Object of Sound hotline one more time. On our last episode of 2022, we're reflecting upon and honoring some of the incredible music that was released this year. And we'd love to know, what was a song that moved you to joy this year? Call 614-285-4029 and leave us a message with your name and where you're calling from. I can't wait to hear from you. This has been Object of Sound from Sonos. Thank you to our guests this week, Rishi K. Shearway. To hear all the music in the full version of this show, listen on Sonos Radio at radio.sonos.com or in the Sonos app. If you like what you hear, go ahead and rate it and share it with your friends. This is a communal thing, music discovery. So tell us what you like about the show and what you're listening to. Let us know your thoughts in an email at objectofsound at sonos.com. You can follow the show at Object of Sound on Instagram. This show is produced by Work by Work. Scott Newman, Gemma Rose Brown, Kathleen Ottinger, Rhiannon Corby, and by me, Hanif Abdurraqib. The show is mixed by Sam Baer. Extra gratitude to Joe Dawson and Saida Blount at Sonos. I'm always talking about music online on Instagram and Twitter at Neef Muhammad. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for being a part of the show. <laughs>